What's up, Chris? What up, Hello. my guys? How are we doing? I'm alive. 90% of the battle. There you go. Love it. How y'all doing? Love it. Daily amounts of health are, are important, right? Doing good. Yeah, definitely. All right, we're going to kick this off, and then we'll get rolling with it. What's up, guys? John Sintas, Cutter Nation Podcast. Uh, this is going to be available on Spotify, YouTube. You can get it anywhere, Apple Podcasts. Um, that anywhere that you want to subscribe, we're there. I'm excited to have a special guest on today. Um, but first, if you have checked out our website, you've noticed that we've got our brand new gloves out. If you're interested in snagging a JS1, no back, all mesh, beautiful pro leather for all you guys out there. Grab a hat, do anything you want to support us from in there. Probably going to be launching some very exciting remote training stuff too. Uh, soon. I, I've been back and forth on the idea since COVID and Berto and I finally sat down and hashed out some stuff that we're very excited to hear. And that brings us to our special guest today. So Berto, why don't you take it off? Yeah, what's up, Chris? For all you guys that don't know, uh, Chris Calabello here. Me and John met, well, I at least met him back in Nashville for a brief moment. And then Chris put out a pretty much a call to action for all professional baseball players, indie ballers, minor leaguers, and he basically extended his hand for, to help anybody with any kind of any of their situations. You know, everyone in pro ball, their situation is different. So he kind of put it out there, whether it came to getting signed, making money, sustaining the lifestyle, training, hitting, actual, the actual game, anything. So we had, a, we had an awesome conversation about um, online training, this Pelotero app, my journey as a baseball player and along with his journey as a baseball player too. And then, uh, you know, Chris is just one of the guys who um, he played in the big leagues was, was a couple of years in the big leagues had success there, but his journey was a little bit different than others versus, you know, the normal getting drafted, getting signed, all that. Me and Chris actually played in the same conference, obviously at different times, but he was a D2 product worked his way through indie ball, played about six or seven years in indie ball and absolutely dominated, batted 300 pretty much every year. And um, finally got his shot in affiliate ball. Um, you know, I have your baseball reference up right now. It's awesome how baseball reference you can uh, just pretty much see like a really great overview of someone's baseball career and baseball life. But man, all I see is 300, 300, 300, 300. And um, that was one thing that from our conversation that we talked about was nobody's going to get mad at you for hitting 300. And that was something that really stuck with me because of how, you know, how much, you know, bombs and RBIs and doubles and exit velos and stuff like that. So, Chris, I just wanted to ask you about, you know, what were some things that or some things about indie ball that some people normal people don't know about you know you mentioned indie ball or independent baseball to you know a normal fan or an average fan they might not know exactly what that is so if you can give kind of like a rundown of your indie ball experience and how that got you to where you are now well when i thank you for all the nice things you said first of all i used to think indie ball was like a men's league when i first started i didn't know what independent baseball was i, I, I when i didn't get drafted you know the 43rd round rolled around in 2005 and i'm sitting there thinking to myself all right i guess we're done unless there's a free agent deal coming and uh i had heard stories about i went to school at assumption college in worcester and a, a team was starting in worcester in the can-am league and uh you know, it just happened to be convenient. It happened to work out because Worcester was where I was, Central Massachusetts, and 
I tried to do everything in my power to get out of Worcester and Central Mass playing baseball, and all of a sudden the Worcester Tornadoes called, and I was I didn't really know what it was. I just knew their manager was Red Sox Hall of Famer Rich Gedman, you know, two-time All-Star guy I watched growing up. So I said, you know, might as well go check it out, and uh, it turned out to be the best experience of my life. It was it shaped me into the player that I became. It taught me everything that I needed to know about how to compete, how to grind, how to be accountable for myself, how to really be a pro. And uh, without that experience, I never, I don't think I ever would have got to the big leagues. People ask me all the time, they're like, you know, do you wish you'd gotten drafted? It had been smoother or easier. And I'm, you know, we don't recognize. And the thing that resonates with me the most is if you watch the Tom Brady man in the arena thing, that's my favorite, favorite episode. And my favorite thing he talked about, he did the, the, the proverb about the, the Chinese farmer. And it was the maybe episode, right? And it's like, uh, you know, the whole thing is we, we don't understand our, our future in the moment. We think something hurts us and we have no idea if it's going to hurt us or help us because we haven't seen how it's going to play out. And, you know, was, was getting, not getting drafted bad? Well, maybe. Like, and it turned out to be great for me because it, it shaped me into uh, the guy that I, I became. And uh, I love it. It's... Uh, teaches you a lot about yourself and shows you how much you love the game and, and how to care about the right stuff. I love that. Um, you know, I'm a D, D2 product as well, Chris. Um, you know, it, it's been a rather fun experience, you know, coming from a small town, D2 school. I went through the Pecos League, ended up in the Mexican League. And I do – what year were you in Jalisco? 2018, I think. No, 2017. That winter, 2017. Yeah, so I played the winter. 2017? Uh, so I, I just missed you the year before. Um, the year before, I was in Mochi's. Um, and then they did that thing, you know, in the, in the baseball business where uh, they put you on the invite roster, but they don't call nice. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Just to block. So the people that don't know, there's business in baseball that happens like this, where a team doesn't know if they want you or not, and they will decide to actually like put you on their list just so you can't play for another team in the league. And that's kind of what happened to me. So in 17, I was supposed to return to Mochi's, but it never happened because they never called me. So it's hilarious. That's it's good stuff. Yeah. So. Small well, I think that's the thing you come yeah, in terms with in baseball um, I, is like I, you start to understand that it is a business. There's business behind it, and it's just part of it, man. Yeah, it just changes the whole thing, and, and that was kind of my experience growing up. Is I, I was just so much more of a what we call an American team guy <laughs> on the game that I was brought up on, and then as I go through the D two system and, and get the information that I do, then you suddenly realize like, well, actually, it's all up to you. Whole thing's really on you. Really doesn't matter about this rah rah. rah. You know, I mean, I, as, I, as going through the JUCO system and seeing like, you know, I played against Chipola. I played in, the, in 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 Pensacola Junior College, and I played against some of these top prospects. And there were guys that didn't give a shit how hard you threw or what you yelled out in the dugout. <laughs> they didn't give two shits. You know, they were just enjoying the environment. They they were just happy you were making it somewhat yeah. entertaining yeah. than practice. You see a lot of different stuff in your baseball journey, you know? man. I remember. There were days at Assumption College when uh, we'd have to, like, untarp the field. Um, you know, what, my senior year, we, they didn't let us play any home games because they had to fix the football 
stadium, which doesn't really make sense as to why we didn't get to play on our own field. But it was uh, – you see some stuff, man, through your career, <laughs> depending on where you go. You just learn a lot, man. It's just it's every day well, is a journey. Just, you learn something new every day. Story about assumption. Uh, there was one time where Franklin Pierce, where I went to, we were playing against Assumption. And for whatever reason that year, like, our team had, like, a little dance that we did. Like, as a team, there was, like, 15 guys lined up. We all had this, like, for whatever reason, had this little dance. And instead of, at Assumption, instead of doing infield, outfield, we did this dance on their field, and our coach recorded it. It was, like, in center field, too. And then this was, like, my experience. Like, it went viral. Like, this was, you know, when, like, like there was no TikTok or stuff like that. So we had, like, it was, like, Twitter viral. We got, like, 10,000 retweets and stuff like that. And everyone was, like, oh, we so disrespectful, you know what I mean, dance on their field and stuff like that. But I just thought it was hilarious. We mopped them up that that that, that I, day, I was, It was awesome. I was going to say, did you boat race them? Because I don't oh, remember. Yeah, we did. There, there was one time. I beat Franklin Pierce twice in four years, I think, over the uh-huh. course of 12 games maybe. And one time we – I mean, my freshman year, we were 9-33, and 33, and we beat Franklin Pierce 22-2 to two one day, and it was ugly. And then the last time we beat him was my senior year, and I remember the game my senior year when we beat him. We played him on a Tuesday and a Thursday, and we got back to the field. And you can ask, you can ask Mike Chambers this. Um, <laughs> the word on the street was on Wednesday at practice, all they did was run because they couldn't believe they beat they lost to Assumption because they were <laughs> World Series bound at the time. That's when Franklin Pierce, Coach King, had really built that program up. So, yeah, apparently if you lost to Assumption, you had to run. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds like Coach King, and I'll for sure get that confirmed. But I remember Chambers made us uh, – he made us do – like, we got caught, like, I don't know, doing something stupid off the field. But, like, one of the worst things we had to do was we had to do, like, instead of, like, a regular conditioning, like – it was like snowing and there was like three feet of snow on the ground. He goes, just bring your boots. We're conditioning outside. And we're doing like bear crawls in the hills, you know what I mean? It's snow and stuff like that for like three hours straight. Just be, this was like some, like we, we deserved it. Not gonna lie. We deserved it. But that was like, that's the one conditioning practice that I remember just because it was in the snow. Everyone's wearing like their Tim's and stuff like that for conditioning. But it was super Franklin Pierce. It was super D2. It was super indie, you know, just stuff like that. <laughs> super, super D two, super D two was like yeah. such a perfect way to say it. Like, do you play D one? No, I played no, super D two. Like, with like, NCAA, oh, okay. they they made that like their mantra was "I chose D two. So like, I don't know. <laughs> like, did anyone no, ever yeah. choose? Yeah, yeah. Our whole our yeah, whole team real. refused like, to say that. D two life kind of chooses you. No, really. sure. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Whatever. Well, I I, I went to a Division two. I went to a Division two school because I thought, man, it's got to be better than Division three. It's one number <laughs> higher or lower or whatever. I, thought. And I didn't know. I didn't even. I didn't know anything at the time. The internet was yeah, in its infancy, and I had a chance to go to Babson College, which now as an entrepreneur, I'm like, man, I really should have gone to the best entrepreneurship school in the country and played there. And then dudes like dudes I ended up playing with after got either got drafted or signed Babson. And Assumption had no big leaguers. Like, we had no big leaguers. Like, in the history of the school, probably two dudes got drafted. I guess they, can, they can't say anymore that they have no big leaguers because I know one. So <laughs> There you go. There you go. You be the... So, out of all the, pe- out of all the people that Lord. I've played with that both played indie ball and affiliate ball, like, across the board, they said that indie ball was a lot more fun than affiliate ball. Would you resonate with the same? Is that the same experience for you? Uh, I 
I mean, yeah, I think they're just different, right? Like, right. there's – I think when you're a – when you get drafted, when you go play affiliated, there's a, there's a very business-like feel to it, right? Everybody's just trying to move up. Like, every guy is trying to get to the next level. If you're an A-ball, you want to go to double-A, double-A, triple-A. And it turns into a very non-team-oriented game. Now, granted, if you get in the right situation, so when I played in Double A with the with the Rockcats and and then in New Britain for the Twins, we created that environment over time. And I think I had something to do with it. Obviously, having come from independent ball, but indie ball, there's two things that separate it really. Like you have to love baseball to play independent baseball, right? Depending on where you're at. It, the situation could be kind of hairy. You might go to a place where you're getting the hot dogs that are left in the, you know, in the in the, 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 the little burner thing at the end of the game for post game. You might be on a bad bus. You might be in a terrible clubhouse. They might not have pregame spread. So you, you come to terms with the fact that you love baseball, right? That's number one. And number two, it's not sure guys are playing to get picked up, but it's not, there's not a clear direct road where if you play well, you're, you're going to the next level. So mm -hmm. it becomes very team-oriented. And the reality is, like, it doesn't matter what round you got drafted in. doesn't matter how much money you got. doesn't matter where you've been. Are you helping our team or not? And that's what it comes down to. So eventually you kind of weed out everything to get to the place where you ultimately have a team that really wants to win for the most part. So that's why I think people will say it's more fun. Now – if you ask anybody, do they want to be an indie ball or they want to be an affiliate? And I was one of the idiots because I hadn't been an affiliate. There was like, yeah, indie ball is great. I love it here. But then it's like, well, I can't get to the place that I want to go ultimately, which, you know, obviously is the big leagues for everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So right. that part, part's not fun. <laughs> what, do you, what, do you, what do you see the biggest difference, you know, from the not necessarily the amenities of the you know of, of indie ball i know you talked about like there is no up i always talked about the infrastructure of networking of how like professional baseball and like i had to talk to these people and these other coaches and ask questions and that's how i ended up meeting you know guys like billy horn and and guys like that that like saw me play and i just had to talk to them you know there's a lot of affiliated guys that don't understand the concept of the indie ball life. What to you, what was the biggest difference between the two like game styles? Cause to me, that's what I feel like the difference was. It was a completely different experience of baseball between what I see in a Yeah, I mean, affiliated is all about development, right? At the end of the day, nobody cares. They don't care if the A-ball club goes 20 and 120. They really don't. It's, it's a shame too, because I think you're breeding guys to ultimately play at the highest level, but you're not making winning a priority. and. I think there's probably ways you could incentivize that uh, and uh, creative things that I've come up with. But no matter what you do, there's going to be a consequence in every direction. So it's it's easy to say it without putting it into action and see how it plays out. I mean, realistically, I, I don't think there's a huge difference in gameplay. For when I started playing any ball, it, it, the reality was if, if you wanted to play, you can find a place to play, right? It wasn't as prevalent as it is now. And I, I said this to Daniel Nava when him and I played together in, in, for the Kansas City. Uh, we were the T-Bones at the time. They're the Monarchs now. But I said, Nav, we really screwed this up for everybody. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, the fact that you and I went on to have pretty successful big league careers out of independent ball and you more than 
me, you stayed there longer than I did. It, it, it created this paradigm where now you're looking at the minor league free agent going, do I have to sign that guy or is he going to continue to play? If I have the 22, 23, 24-year-old kid who's talented, I don't need to sign him when he's, you know, gets done his sixth, seventh year contract or whatever. So it, it just shifted the whole dynamic. Um, but in terms of the game play at the time when I was there, you know, you'd have the road warrior team or you'd have the just out of college team. And you, on any given night, you might face a kid that is coming out of Division three school or Division two school. And then you might face a guy that fits in the big leagues the next night. And I think that's the only difference. But, you know, you played in Mexico and, and velocity is not the, the only thing that makes pitchers good. You have to be good at pitching, right? Like you have to be good at pitching. Um, and I think you have to figure out how to do that over time. So, um it depended on the night, but you could have a double A game, an independent ball, or you could have a, you know, rec summer ball game. It just depends. The guy on the mound controls so much of it. So that was that's the only difference. Like, you know, an affiliated, the, the chances are if you get the double A, you're facing a guy who's at least a prospect or at least a pretty polished pitcher. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Well, we talked about a lot what like what you did in the past, so I really want to uh, talk about what you're doing now in terms of helping out indie ball players, helping out baseball players, because the conversation that we had was very helpful for me in that, um, you know, I'm chasing an indie ball contract right now. I'm doing all these things to get signed, right? Uh, and how John kind of talked about it was um, actually talking to people and talking to coaches, not just playing and like hoping someone will come talk to you and stuff like that and so that was part of one of the reasons why I reached out to you because like you know I saw an opportunity and I hope more baseball players do that when people kind of you know extend their hand to help like, people take advantage of it I actually do have a friend that he got signed to the Reds because the Reds pitching coach put out something that like didn't ask me anything opportunity for anyone on Reddit he was like I'm doing this Reddit interview and anyone could ask me anything Right. And he, instead of asking him questions, he sent him his, his baseball reference and his rap Soto stats saying that he was pitching, you know, throwing 95 to 97. Here's my baseball reference. I'm playing here this year. Like what's good. And then the guy gave him his numbers, sent him his info. He goes, all right, play indie ball. And he was an indie ball guy. He goes, play indie ball this year. We'll stay, we'll stay in touch and, we'll, you know, keep, keep me updated. And then like after like four starts in the frontier league, he said them to stay in touch, and then he picked up by the Reds, and he's been there for the past two years. So I thought, I thought that was awesome. You know, things like that can happen. It's all about, you know, just going out and making those connections. So we talk about, you know, kind of go over what you're doing now to help players, you know, talk about your Pelotero app and stuff like that. Yeah, so the biggest thing, and I tell, I tell people this all the time, right? So the, the world is a big place, and there's a lot of people that want to play, right? right. So – and I had a, I had a teammate – my first year and I, I you should have heard me I was I was bitching and moaning that I didn't get picked up or I ain't signed and I'm you know talking about my numbers at Assumption College and what I did in any CBL and this is a dude that played in double a with the Mets and you know averaged 10 strikeouts per nine for a while right like he was a good pitcher and one day he kind of came up to me and he was like like why, why do you think anybody cares what your story is because we all have a story every just look around this room everybody got a story and he started explaining it to me in an interesting way right and he, he said baseball is an entertainment sport right and, and as much as we hate to think of it that way it, it really is we're trying to entertain fans at the end of the day at the big league level you're trying to you're trying to entertain people and he goes 
He goes, what can you do to entertain fans? He's like, now every big league team's got guys that are like stones, right? They're guys that are fixtures. They're guys that are going to help the team win, blah, blah, blah. But, and, and it's essentially the toolsy part of it, right? It's like people want to see a guy that throws 100. People want to see a guy that punched out a lot of hitters. People want to see a guy that hits the ball really far. And and what that how that resonated with me is you have to do something to stand out, right? Because for whatever reason, there's one kid in A ball and there's another kid in any ball, right? And they might be just about the same. And we don't know how or why they got there because it's really hard. There's a lot of people playing. So if you're the kid in any ball and you're about the same as the guy in A ball, guess what? The guy that's in A ball is going to keep his job, right? Like he's going to keep his job. So you have to do something to stand out. Now, for me, I realized I couldn't run fast. I couldn't hit it really far. Um, I didn't – I was a first baseman, so even if I had a good arm or played great defense, they didn't care. So it was like, what can I do to stand out so that somebody notices me? And now we have, you know, everybody's self-promotion through social media, whatever. But at the end of the day, like, you have to impress somebody with your the way you play, the way you go about your business. So how do you stand out? So to your point, shake hands, say hello, talk to people, be forward, ask questions. Like, baseball – you guys hear me? Yeah. Baseball uh, guys love love talking. They love answering questions. They love being part of the dialogue. They love being involved. So everybody wants to pay it forward. They want to tell you about what's going on. So don't be afraid to go ask questions and don't be afraid to introduce yourself to people because it's a big world out there and nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows. Like I, I was sitting there in indie ball hitting 300 every year and thinking, Somebody's got to be noticing. Somebody's got to be noticing. I'm like, dude, everybody's sitting over there watching the college game or the high school game. Nobody cares what you're doing on the camera. So <laughs> you got to figure out how to get people to pay attention to you. Um, and and realistically, you know, I want to help guys understand how to run the race, right? Like I want to help them understand, hey, it's going to be painful. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be all this. Let me help you however I can when it comes to my relationships. And then ultimately, I know the lifestyle. You don't make no money and a bunch of guys had reached out to me personally, which is why I put the message out on, on Instagram. And they all were like, hey, can we be involved in your program? And I'm like, well, there's some pretty clear paths here to how I can help you make some more dough, especially if you're a guy that does lessons or, you know, works in an academy, works in a facility, works with a travel ball team. I have some tools to help you be able to sustain your business through the summer. And obviously, you can help Pelotero as well. Sweet. Hell yeah. Um, let's see. So I was going through your, your Pelotero app is very interesting. You guys have a lot of cool stuff on there when it comes to hitting. I love all the people that you have. I remember you talking about an ABCA, you're building your, your hitting army, right? Which is kind of what we're doing at Cutter Nation right now. We're looking to expand and we always talk about building our army, right? <laughs> um, and you guys have a lot of cool stuff when it comes to hitting. Have you guys thought about doing anything pitching wise for Pelotero? For sure. That's in, uh, it's in the pipeline. Um, you know, it's the challenges in business are interesting because when you're a startup company and you have different, you know, financial concerns and sales and revenue and marketing and this and that. So like we had to do one thing first, um, mm -hmm. obviously for Bobby and I hitting is our kind of our sweet spot where, uh, as people like to say, subject matter experts, I guess, as right. much as the world wants to tell you that we're not, I, I would say we're, fairly equipped to talk about hitting. I had a guy on Instagram tell me, uh, Pelotero did a post right on it on IG 
and I just happened to see the the thing, and it was me talking at Fenway to some young hitters, mm-hmm. and I was talking about using a heavier bat, right? I was talking about like why young people are are bred to believe that they have to use lighter bats, and so the the whole snippet was cut, and and some guy like said, Who, like anybody just thinks they can coach hitting now, and I was like, well, I was like. I- <laughs> I was like, like, what, what exactly do I need to do to be equipped to have a hitting conversation? Because if I'm not, then is anybody really? So, right. um, not to toot my own horn or anything like that, but uh, I've I've done some things and certainly like want to help pay it forward to the next generation. So, that's what we do with Pelletier. We we're, we're trying to make sense of this data world where everybody's focused on metric, 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 metric right now, and it's like that's not developing you as a player. Like to be a great baseball player to be a great hitter you have to be a creative thinker you have to be an artist you have to have it's a discipline it's not just like a it's linear hey i'm gonna go create this outcome in training and then it's gonna just show up in the the game that's just not how it works it's uh you know it's there's moving parts it's a it's a it's a moving puzzle and you got to figure out how to fit the pieces in the right way which goes back to the 300 thing like hitting 300 is an art there's a reason why guys they hit 300, hit 300, and my guys that hit 240, hit 240. Like, it's, it's just what it is, you know? Right. I love on, on the Pelotero app how you guys focus on – yes, you guys focus on swing mechanics and stuff like that, exit velos, but the stats that you guys show me that a lot of amateurs are missing, right, that you can't just get from baseball reference are things like your misses, your chase rates, your swing and miss rates and stuff like that to really understand, like, what's going on instead of, like, oh, I missed it because I pulled my head off. You know what I mean? Like, you know, people, people in games, right? Like, a lot of times, like, oh, I pulled my head or I flew open. I was like, no, nah, you swung out a fucking ball in the dirt. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, with Cutter Nation, it's, it's really easy for me to coach hitting more so, like, easier for me to coach hitting rather than coaching the swing just because we have things like pitchers. We have, like, John, like, throw live at-bats, right? We do a thing called advanced BP where John will get up on the mound from 50 feet and then just throw as many at-bats as he can. Yeah, it's 50 feet, but it's all, you know, things like decision-making, timing, like, getting, are you getting your A swing off? Like, are you swinging at pitches in the zone and stuff like that? And then, obviously, we can work situations like, you know, first and second, first and third, all that different kind of stuff. But a lot of that time when I'm coaching, it's like I'm not making – or telling or suggesting even swing adjustments. It's always like, oh, why'd you make that decision? How'd you get there? Or like, was that a right decision, you know, and stuff. And that's what I really liked about the Pelotar app because, you know, it focuses on those things and those things really uh, that help you get to hitting 300, right? It's not just swing, 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 swing. It's actually hitting as an art. Yeah, the way I, the way I describe this to people is so, like, the way my career played out, right? Yeah. For 26 years, I learned how to hit. I had I had the best baseball mentor anybody could have in Rich Gedman, who taught me how to compete. He taught me how to deal with failure. Um, he taught me how to hit with two strikes. He taught me how to hit in leverage counts. He helped me understand what a sinker was. Uh, he made me understand different parts of the zone and how I could attack different pitchers in different situations. And then Bobby gave me the swing at age 27, right? And the way Pilar, Kevin Pilar had the analogy, he goes, the swing is just the gun. It's just the gun. Mm-hmm. He goes, if you're a dueler and you have a really good gun, but you don't know how to shoot, you don't know how to aim, you don't know how to slow your heart rate down, then you're not going to be a good dueler, right? Like, and he's, like right now, what happened was when, when Bobby and I started talking about the swing in 2010, uh, we were passionate and adamant about the mechanical side of the swing and how the mechanics can create a, an advantage for you. But guess what? If you don't know how to hit you can have the best gun in the world and you ain't gonna be very good at shooting you know what i mean Mm. so 
if you take a great shooter and you give him a great gun, that's pretty nasty. If you take right. a bad shooter and you give him a great gun, it can help him, but we don't know, right? Like, we don't know if he's yeah. going to shoot better. So, um, yeah, like, it's the, the missing link in, in, in what we're doing in the world now is we're, we're not using game information to help players, right? Like, we're, oh, there's an exit velocity in training, or here's an exit velocity, and, like, are you good at hitting or are you not? Like, we have to answer those questions first. And I think that the script is like flipped over the last 10 years where it's like, you know, everybody's screaming from the mountaintops. Hey, swing like this. I know the swing better than you do. It's, it's all, all a, it's all bullshit. Pardon my language. Like it's the swing is about discovery. We have to educate hitters about what good looks like and then mm-hmm. let players discover how to move on their own. Like the information's out there. If you want to sequence properly, like your hips got to go first, barrels got to turn around and axis, right? You got to just have good sequence. And then the style of it, can be individual. Some guys scissor kick. Some guys are going to start wide. Some guys are going to do a toe tap. Like we can't control that. And then mm-hmm. we're, we're, everybody, like everybody's trying to say, "Oh, I got the keys." And I'm like, "No, you don't. Like you don't have the keys because the keys are in the individual. The individual just has to be enlightened and then figure out how to go execute on their own." But when it comes to hitting content concepts, being on time and swinging at the right pitches will always trump. Your mechanics. It will always trump the swing stuff forever and always. That will never change. And I think we've missed that for like 10 years. So a lot of what we're doing is like, how do we help collect game data? How do we help coach connect with player? How do we help coach offer in-season services to his players so that like we close the loop in, in the world of like, here's training Academy a like, you know, cutter nation's got players all through the off season now, how do we stay connected to those players in season and be a resource for them then, too? Yeah, I was going to say, that's my, so my favorite part about that whole thing right there is, is Berto and I talk about this a lot, and I think there's a lot of style issues that happen in, like, the game of baseball that we're not talking about, right? Like, when we put MMA fighters together and we have a wrestler and a, and a striker, then we can debate the style of what's going to happen. And a lot of the mechanical conversations that we're having on the internet are completely null and void if the style works against it. So, you know, we talk about the scissor and the donkey leg kick and the long swing, the short swing, the inside out, the jeter, whatever you want to go with, right? To me, that's what the finesse of, of Scherzer and Grinky do and what I'm trying to do with advanced BP is, you know, all of these different pitch types allow me to throw different timings and strategies against a hitter that way that I can mess with their timing inside of a tunnel change that may be to a tendency that I know guess what, what? You, do. Wait, you know what I mean? I, let me stop you because guess what? You're on What's offense. Up? I'm on defense. It's the mm-hmm. only sport in the world where we I don't have the ball right. on offense. Like the hitter doesn't have the ball. Totally. So I totally. have to understand how to adjust to the stuff you're doing. And the, and the phrase that I use all the time is like, I have to be proactively reactive. So as a hitter, I've built in reactions my whole life, right? Like, like you're about to get punched in the face. What's your reaction? Get out of the way. Why? Well, cause it's going to hurt. Right. So the same way you touch fire. Oh, it burns. I'm never going to touch fire again. Right. So that's a reaction. Hitting is a reaction cause it happens in 0.4 seconds, but we have to teach ourselves. We have to train our reactions to be different. If the pitcher gives a hesitation move, if the pitcher, you know, tunnels the pitch really well, and then it, it becomes a chess match within those proactive reactions. It's like, okay, I have to, build presumptions or hypothesize what you're going to try to do against me 
And then I have to have a plan and try to execute it, right? It doesn't mean I'm going to win every time. It just means have right. a plan, build a plan so that right. now at least you have a chance. Because now I know if you're paying attention, like Scherzer's messing with the, top, the pitch clock the other day. What do we think was going to happen? The smart guys weren't going to take advantage of it? Like, did, did we really? Like, of course Scherzer's yeah, going to mess with it. Scherzer's looking yeah. for every edge you can get. That's why he's one of the best ever, right? That's why the guy's one of the best yeah. ever. You want to be one of the best ever? If you, you combine skill, like the talent side, with the awareness side, right? Like, that's why I said hit, hitting is artistic. You have to, it's a discipline. We have, to, we have to be creative the same way you as a pitcher are going to try to be creative against me when I'm in the box to say, okay, what does this guy do well? Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go work against it. I'm going to go mess with it. Sorry I interrupted you, but. <laughs> no, no, it's good. I, I think that's yeah. the jujitsu of the situation. I, I, I totally agree with you on what you're saying. I feel like, you know, that's where Berto and I really have a lot of fun teaching inside the facility is, you know, a lot of the times we get some advanced BP guys, Alberto hitting with them and us verbalizing what's happening pitch to pitch. And then even afterwards, I like even helping kids. And I'm like, oh, you have a cocker spaniel tail for a bat. You didn't even realize it. that I noticed you picked up your pace and immediately went from fastball away to I'm just going to miss fastball in off a little bit because I know you're selling out. And so I just catch well, you a the little game, bit later. The game is you know? the test, right? Like the game is the test. And that's where – like, and it's awesome to try to recreate. And, and like we live in this in this world now where everybody's like, oh, we got to train harder, train harder, train harder, train like faster, put the machine on a 1,000. I'm like, let me tell you something, dude. You can put the machine on a million, and you're never going to create what's out there. Like because arm action and timing and the emotion of the game and the scoreboard mm -hmm. and you're 0 for 8, like – when we're inside, we have the, like we have a cocoon, right? The cocoon is the shell. It's the cage. It's the it's the it's the roof. Like that that shit don't go on your bubble gum card. Like ain't nobody putting your O for eight in the cage on your bubble gum card. As soon as you get outside, everybody paying attention. There's a box score, homie, and you don't get no do overs. There's no mulligans. There's no mulligans <laughs> in the game. Like it's not, oh yeah yeah I'm playing golf with my buddies. Let me just take another one. No no no, you ain't got no mulligans. Striking out's embarrassing. I, I used to feel embarrassed when I struck out. And that's how we feel. Like the hitter's biggest fear, swing and miss at three straight fastballs down the middle, right? Like, <sighs> terrifying, right? So, oh, let me go hit the ball. So, th there, there's challenges that the game creates. And that's why it's great that you guys are doing that. Like, everybody's trying to say, like, oh, let's go faster. The key to practice is that we translate it into what's happening in the game. We have to try to recreate the environments as well as right. we can in our mind just as much as in, in, in the actual training. The, the, the problem with putting a machine on at 100 miles an hour yeah. is the thing's still on a straight line, it's going to a location, and you get a do-over. Like, do-over. And yeah. that ain't timing. Like, that ain't timing. You know, there's a guy that has a leg kick and arm action. He might sidestep on the next pitch, and then he might speed up on me a little bit, right? Like, and that's, that's the biggest thing is, like, 100 years ago by the way or 50 years ago guys like were good at hitting and they just hit flips and bp and now the game's like oh we got to put the machine on a thousand and six and i'm like no you don't you can you can create a plan from flips and t-work if you allow yourself to if you if you resonate with the with the actual app that's, that's my soapbox thing. sorry <laughs> yeah well, and well yeah no we'll do you know, even on, on, so on Wednesday nights, so I, I can kind of do it. It's kind of crazy. Cause like I'll throw right. like 350 pitches on a Wednesday, but it's, but it's a light jog because I'm throwing it like yeah. 68, 70 miles an hour at, at 50 feet. 
but I'm, it's still cutter, sinker, change curve. It's funny too, because my, these younger kids, we have these high, this like 12 to high school range and even college. And I've come up with this level system where they can like go up and down to difficulty according to the level they go in. So level one is fastballs only. Level two is fast curve. Level three is fast curve, slider change. Level four, fast curve, slider change, split, cutter, sidearm, whatever you want. And what's fun over the past, I don't know, three months that we've been doing this, our 12-year-olds only do level four now. And then they go to these tournaments, and they're just yeah. jazzed, ready to go. And then I go, how'd it go? And they go, nobody throws yeah. sliders uh, like you. I so went, I went, I went I nine for four with for 17 you, homers at my tournament. <laughs> like, and what, what we're yeah. doing, right? Like, yeah. A, we're preparing the physical. But, like, more than anything, you're preparing them mentally. The confidence level that they have when they go do that now is like, I'm ready for this, right? Like I'm ready. There's nothing that I haven't seen already. Nothing I haven't experienced. So that's like, it's you're really fulfilling both buckets. Like, right. You're covering both, both sides of it. Now the biggest challenge I had when I was little was like, how do I wait for the guy to throw slow now? I, I couldn't get myself to wait. Right. Like, so that's the only thing I worried about is the 12 year old now face the guy throwing 52 and you're like, like freaking out, like let the ball get there. Right. <laughs> Yeah, especially with me, like, like I'm so long and like I hide the ball, you know, I, I've got, I've still got pretty good layback. So the ball gets behind my head really well. And then it like just basically comes from behind my elbow. So from a straight on view, you don't even see it till I've already yeah. gone through. Yeah, that's already. stuff that 12, most 12 year olds aren't thinking about. They're thinking about cotton candy and lizards, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got, we got some, you know, San Diego's a fun little spot. We have a lot of kids that, that really enjoy that right. higher level conversation of stuff. But, I mean, that's yeah. we're trying to change it from the ground floor here, honestly. I was talking to a parent the other day, and they were saying, you know, by us taking seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds, like we're directly affecting the future of San Diego because they're getting a different style of training earlier. And, and as you know, everybody goes and works with everybody all over the area. I'm going to go to this guy. I'm going to go to that guy. I'm going to – you know what I mean? And everybody contradicts everybody. And that's where Berto and I always yeah, go ahead, man. I don't care. I don't give two shits who you go talk to about whatever. When we're doing advanced BP and I tell you I'm going to throw a front door two seam off your hip, can you hit it? Because if you can't hit it when you know it's Because that's like, the test, man. The you. test is can you get it done? Like, we, you, you, the, the baseball swing, the baseball player has to be reverse engineered from, like, what's happening on the field? Like, what is your threshold for what success is in your mind? Like, Berto said I hit 300. My bad. That's what I do. I hit 300. Like, I hit 300 my whole life because I wanted to. 300 was my line of demarcation. I believed I was going to hit 300. I wanted to hit 300. It caused me a lot of anxiety and stress and nervousness and nights when I wouldn't go talk to anybody after games and I'd sit in my room and, like, think about the meaning of life. But I hit 300 because that was the mark. That was the mark. I lived my whole life like that. It meant something to me from when I was four. I was going to hit 300, period. And it came down the last day, three different years of my career. And guess what? On the last day, I got it done. Because if it matters to you, you'll get there. I think so many kids are like, they don't, like, right. they don't believe they're supposed to hit 300. I play with guys in affiliate. They're like, ah, oh, well, yeah, if I hit 270, I'll be good. Get, get out of here with that, dude. Like, yeah, like 270. I mean, if I was hitting 270, I'm like borderline looking for a noose. Like, no, it's extreme. But, like, you know, I, yeah. like, I, I, I couldn't live with that. I couldn't tolerate it. And, look, you can call it makeup. You can call it whatever you want. Like, I just hate losing way more than I like winning. So, like, 300 represented not losing to me, right? Like, that was not losing. If I hit 300, 
That was not losing. Love that. Well, Love that. Chris, Definitely. well, we've talked about a lot. I'm sure we can, us three can talk all day, but um, John, do you have any other last questions for Chris before we wrap this up? Um, yeah, I appreciate your, your brain on, on this. You know, it's always fun to be talking about this kind of stuff. And, and um, I, I look forward That's to collaborating good. more with you. Um, we would love to, to help you yeah. guys with that pitching side of the stuff, you know, with things. I mean, I've been staring at your website, watching that loop of your guy have that beautiful circle go around his yeah. body with that swing right there. And, and we talk about a lot of shapes and, and, and where we talk about with training and pitches and movements and swings and, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's course. very, I appreciate your time well, for coming on. Here and, all you owe me is an hour. You cause... owe me a 30 minute hour zoom. We can talk some more. So, you know, there you go. That's it. All right. Guys. That sounds great. I love that. Sounds good. Though. Set that up. All for right. sure. Take Definitely. it easy. Okay. Appreciate it guys. Thank you so much. You know, please follow everybody here. Like, and subscribe. This will be on YouTube, Spotify, everywhere. So if you missed it, we got Thank the full thing out soon. Thank you.